0: Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Trapper, Mike Palmer along with you. And on today's Extra, we're going to talk about a recent conference Mike and I attended up in Massachusetts called Sound Education and sort of the larger scale of the podcast
1: industry at large. Mike, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderfully well, although uh, I did need uh, aid of a lozenge uh, because I did spend uh, a few days up in Boston and it was all like spritzy, October chill in the air. Yep. And uh, uh, fortunately, I got a little bit of time to to walk along the Charles River and explore uh, Cambridge. And uh, you know, a lot of the uh, the conference activity was either in Cambridge, uh, some cool spots at Harvard. Um, there was some activity at BU, uh, Boston University, which isn't far from there. Uh, and then there was also stuff at. Um, the prx uh pod garage which was another interesting idea around um kind of like a maker space for podcasters absolutely uh that i think there's one in boston and there's one on the the west coast so like prx is a big uh supporter of independent podcasts and um they're kind of like a network of independent indica- independent podcasts um and uh you know, the spaces were really interesting. It was a nice cross-section of, uh, of Boston. And then it was specifically about educational podcasting, um, which lo and behold, that's what we do. So, uh, so yeah, it was a nice visit up to Boston. You're from up there, uh, Dan.
0: I, I reside I reside here I'm from from New Jersey oh, I have to sorry. always reference well I'm yes. from Brooklyn my mother would be very remiss if I if I did not say that but uh, I grew up in New Jersey I lived up here for for five years now yes. um, no I have visited PRX it, it was a great event and I think what they're building here is not only a, a local community with uh, the the team that runs sound education via some of the universities locally to the Boston area but growing. Honestly, a global community of these education podcasters who all came in uh, Mm -hmm. from across, Uh, but great sites, uh, getting a chance to walk around as he did Cambridge and and the BU area and all those different parts. Pepino's uh,
1: Pepino's Pizza. If you ever need a slice in Cambridge, uh, a friend of the show, Tarlin Ray, uh, insisted that I grab a Pepino slice and it was delightful. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Tarlin. And you're welcome, everyone else. I was uh, going to say trending in
0: pizza is not a bad topic either. But uh, what I found, I I attended a day. Mike also appeared on a panel discussion around social sciences, which was a great discussion. Honestly, uh, some great uh, other panelists that we'll talk about briefly here. But I would say seek out their content as well, because they're all really insightful. Um, But big level, high level takeaways for you. Um, what was your general sense about the conference at large and the people who attended, uh, and what you got out of it as a, an attendee and a panelist?
1: Yeah, I would say to begin with first takeaway is that, um, as someone who listens to educational podcasts, a decent amount, um, and, um, I think our listeners would fall into that category because this show I think could be classified as an educational podcast. That's why we're up there. Um, it's a great time to be consuming content and um, going in, I expected to learn a lot about other shows that are doing really great work. And I did see that there had to be, you know, two, 300 uh, attendees, maybe around 300 attendees. I think over 200 of them were producing their own podcasts already. A handful of them were just uh, listeners or, uh, you know, uh, enthusiasts um, and then others were about to start their own podcast. And um, you know, so that's the first point: is that if you listen to audio content uh, in service of learning, um, I think you're in a good space that is growing and is getting more organized. And the fact that this is the second time this conference uh, has run is a great example of that. Um, you know, hats off to uh, Zachary Davis and uh, Joseph Friedman and and the guys who who organized this conference, cause it was really well run. And, um, the fact that, uh, Zachary, whose podcast ministry of ideas was uh, begun out of, um, uh, the Harvard divinity school. Um, he's super connected into the academic, uh, ecosystem of Boston, Cambridge, Harvard, etc., And, uh, it definitely shows. So like the quality of, uh, of the 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 panelists and the keynotes uh, was really top-notch and um, and yeah it does feel like we're at the beginning of something uh, and it was nice I think to get a little bit of recognition in both in terms of the number of shows we've done and the fact that we've been doing you know close to 200 shows it looks like we're at about 197 counting uh, extras uh, so uh, this will be 198 um so uh we're on the cusp of the 200 mark um and um i think that gives us the ability to at least appear on panels right and uh maybe uh start to organize our thinking a little bit better and get some perspective but uh but i think there's plenty of upside and then um uh there's a lot to go into in terms of what's happening in the podcasting industry and then the podcasting industry specifically as it relates to education, because there are some places where there's um, a specific uh, intent to be an educational podcast. Um, And then there's many cases where the podcast is designed to entertain, but by virtue of entertaining, it also educates. And, um, you know, we were talking a lot, we just did a show about um, edutainment and entertainment not being a bad word, that was a theme that, I was, that was surprisingly relevant to the audience up there, where I think there was pretty much universal agreement that um, designing educational audio content that is also entertaining is almost just the price of admission. Right. So like m- maybe if you have really significant ideas to impart And if you have really excellent, you know, erudite academic guests, you can get by without being intentionally entertaining. Uh, But even then it's probably entertaining just if the conversation is sophisticated enough. So, um, you know, this comes from my experience, you know, over the years where there has been a bit of a a negative connotation to edutainment. Mm -hmm. Definitely didn't get that up there. Like if anything, it was like, you know, it's like the, the fries and the shake with the, the cheeseburger. You know, the, 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 the cheeseburger. Hang on. Help me with this. I,
0: thing. I, I'm,
1: I'm the cheeseburger. Bated
0: breath. I'm on the edge the of my cheeseburger
1: seat. is the podcast. Okay. I think the fries are the learning. Okay. And then the shake is the entertainment. I forget. I get it all mixed up. But like, it it's, it's basically like you're getting a value meal of goodness uh, and, uh, and it was fun to realize you're not alone, you know, so like, to a certain extent, when you feel like you're doing something nobody else is doing, there's some pride you get with that. Uh, and I think there is a little bit of uniqueness to this show that I didn't really see represented there, which was nice. But it was also really reassuring just that, um, you know, in some ways, we're part of a bigger movement, um, which is leveraging new media yep. and sort of informal education powered by new media as a way to uh, broaden access to learning content that frequently um, can can never escape the, the hallowed halls of academia. So uh, there's an important, came up on the panel I was on, there's an important uh, translation function that shows like this do, and we're not alone, and we'll hopefully have some more references both throughout this show and really in the coming weeks and months of other shows where, hey, if you're interested in, anthropology, uh, you know, this answer life is worth a listen, or if you're interested in, uh, language, the illusionist is worth, uh, the allusionist is worth right. a listen. Um, but, um, so I think that's great for, for someone who wants to consume learning content, but also for someone who wants to make it. Uh, I know many of our listeners have academic backgrounds, maybe they have a doctorate or master's degree, some advanced degree, maybe you just have domain expertise. Um, you know, uh, Mike Duncan, uh, who uh, was one of the keynotes there, was saying, don't listen to anybody who says that's already 800,000 podcasts and the, the market is saturated. If you have something to share, you know, share it. And this format is really, will continue to be a democratizing format as long as people have the gumption to, to sit in front of a microphone and share what they have to say. Right. And do it for your own personal fulfillment really first. And uh, don't do it to become famous. Don't do it to become wealthy. Those things are unlikely to come from podcasting, but you're going to get a sense of personal fulfillment by sharing this out. And then over time, you'll probably start connecting to people in different ways because um, it's like I've mentioned in the past, I think when we were talking about um, multi-potentialites. Like if you're not building a body of work, if you don't have a portfolio associated with your career these days, you're gonna lose opportunities to people who are doing that. So um, for folks who are on the fence as an educator or someone who wants to experiment with this, there's plenty of tools and advocates out there who are trying to get you on board. And I'd say we're part of that. Um, And we'd love to hear from our listeners if you're interested in getting your feet wet, but hopefully by next, um, next fall, Maybe a few of our listeners will also have tossed their hats into the ring and uh, we'll start to round out the uh, the educational posse and uh, we'll roll deep. Absolutely. Uh, next uh, not just at sound education, everywhere. We'll just yep. be
0: rolling deep. I think that's the way to go. I, many things you said resonate, obviously. And I think the idea of purpose-built edutainment can be dicey for some people when they think, oh, I'm going after the entertainment value first. But I think you make the point of if education that is also entertaining resonates with more people, it becomes stickier. It brings them back for more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think podcasting allows for a little experimentation there, finding your voice, finding the way you might deliver content. uh, And to your point about uh, democratization, you you hope over time it just can reach more and more people and more Mm -hmm. and more more people can be exposed to. And that is the beauty of all of these podcast networks being free. Now it is an intriguing discussion point. We can, uh, table it for now, but around the the pay model that is yeah. becoming more and more prevalent in podcasting and in audio specifically, uh, we saw a couple of announcements up there that we can get into in a little bit uh, there's also a company called Knowable that a couple of weeks back had a big uh, round of funding that is sort of focused on becoming audio lessons and audio courses uh, we've talked about it many times over you 've talked about similar ideas. Uh, do you feel like we're moving? fast enough towards these answers of, of a knowable there's Lyceum, which was announced up there, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about a little bit more. Yep. Uh, getting to purpose-built audio products that will be viable as education tools.
1: I think so. Yes. And I mean, the, uh, the big example here is a company called Jim with an X. So apologies if I mispronounce my X there, but I think it would be like Jimelea, um, which, um, which uh i think is is somehow associated with himalaya which is the us based company uh out of uh, out of san francisco but himalaya in china um is huge in terms of its listenership i think uh we just uh, will share out an article um i think it's 540 million downloads of their applica- of their app and then uh i think uh 7.3 billion dollar uh industry in China alone, and that's relative to uh, to in the US, or at least traditionally the way people talk about podcasting as like a you know, some in the neighborhood of a $500 million industry that's growing to the point where by 2021, it may be a billion dollar industry. Right. To understand that China already is seven times bigger than where the entirety of the industry, uh, and it gets a little murky how you call something a podcast versus something else. But the idea that China has an enormous uh, revenue generating engine behind its learning audio, in particular in a company called Jimalaya, and that uh, there's interest in figuring out whether we could replicate that model in the US. And um, I think there's potentially something there. I mean, if you come, Himalaya is trying to do something like this, um, Luminary is also trying to do something like this. Slate does this through its Slate Plus idea, but the idea that I could have ad-free, high quality learning content that is both educational and entertaining yep, and will be a purpose-built app that has additional features designed for learning and a learning community. Um, I will say also as a, as a shameless uh, free plug, um, the Hoova app that we used for the conference was also quite good. And it made me think about if you could be leveraging something like that app as you engage in the educational content that you're listening to, the learning content that you're listening to. um, I think there could be some real appeal there. Like I get frustrated with um, the limited, the limited, limited, not limited, often imitated, never limited uh, functionality that exists in, um, in a lot of the audio-based apps, um, Audible on an iPhone is terrible. Yep, um, The built-in Apple Podcast app is pretty low, functional, uh, low functionality. And even the, the apps that I like, like Overcast, is how I typically listen to my uh, podcasts. It doesn't really do much to enhance my learning. There's no way to really connect to a community of interest around what I'm listening to. And um, all those things, I think, speak to big opportunities um, as this industry matures. Um, and, um, and then increasingly, you know, like I'm curious where and how we might have a role to play in that, which is why it's always nice when you engage at a conference like this, you realize maybe there's a way to influence more rather than just, uh, react, you know? So is there a way to, to get in early enough on what seems like it'll be growing in the U S it's already big in China it's likely to grow in the US and really globally. Um, You know, what does that mean? How do you generate good learning content? How do you do it in a way that's entertaining? How do you connect to a broader community? Um, those were all some of the questions that uh, that came up while we were up there.
0: It reminds me a little bit of our talk with uh, Skillshare or your talk with Skillshare a while back yeah. of finding mm-hmm. content and finding teachers and finding yes. people who are passionate about things. And I think the same will happen here because there are 800,000 podcasts. There are people who are creating things and you have to figure out where the right fit is and who can teach on audio and who can fit into this. Uh, but I think we're so so early in all this, so early in all these steps that uh, there are going to be some right choices and some, some failures, but they're all going to be moving the products forward, which is very exciting right now to be a part of and to see all of these building as we move forward, I'm yeah, I, just, just
1: to kind of jump in there too, like I would give a nod to Pushkin, um, Jacob Weisberg, the former editor in chief of Slate, who has now launched Pushkin Industries with Malcolm Gladwell was there. And, um, you know, they produce Revisionist History and uh, Against the Rules with Michael Lewis. They, a lot of big, big time podcasts, a lot of XMPR people, folks who really are invested in the audio production of their shows. They're worth a listen. If you, there's a different quality to a highly produced audio show that you'll notice when you listen. Um, what I found really interesting about Malcolm Gladwell's uh, latest book, Talking to Strangers, is that it was really an audio first approach to an audiobook where they leveraged a lot of the high production quality, whether it's, uh, you know, there's music that accompanies the entirety of uh, of the audiobook. Uh, when he's quoting someone, you typically will hear the initial speaker. Uh, they cast voices, voice actors for uh, when they had to simulate quotes or, or situations. And um, it really did change the way I thought about uh, what an audiobook might be. Yeah. I've also heard that at least in the case of talking to strangers, that the audiobook is outselling the print version oh, wow. of the book, which is, uh, I believe a, an industry first. So like we could be in at the beginning of, uh, a new model. And then interestingly, a related point there is that, uh, people expect their podcast to be free maybe with some advertising to understand that, or maybe a Patreon model where you tipped to, you know, pay it forward. Um, but then in the case of audiobooks, people are more comfortable paying. And I think increasingly those two genres are blending mm-hmm. um, so that, um, you know, to monetize in a way that is more akin to book print publishing, uh, particularly when you're beginning, you know, the audiobook path may make more sense. Um, as opposed to the, um, the advertising model, which really you can only uh, monetize when you hit a, a significant level of scale. Um, and um, it's a time, I think, to be extremely experimental. So I was very excited. Uh, Lyceum, I think, was, uh, was something that's on the horizon, which is a purpose-built uh, educational podcasting app um, designed uh, really for the community, Of folks who listen to podcasts for the purpose of learning to connect. It's also sounded like a podcast for educational podcasters like us as well. So, like a way in which you can author and do some editing. Um, I think it's due out towards the end of this year. It's definitely something we want to keep an eye on, uh, potentially get folks like uh, Zachary Davis and others uh, on to talk about what they're trying to accomplish there. But um, but I did come away hopeful uh, and, uh, and in believing that there is more on the horizon than what we've seen so far.
0: Yeah. I, I think it leans into uh, rights and ownership of podcasts. You have them on multiple apps right now, but then you yep. think of Netflix or Disney plus or any of these where they own specific rights to specific content. Mm-hmm. And we have people uh, going to multiple. How do we as content uh, creators and uh, these different platforms, figure all that out. How do we do right partnerships and uh, media rights and and work? I I know uh, Maggie McGuire, who uh, is the Pina CEO, was up there talking about the idea of maybe exclusivity for three months and then it goes public. Mm -hmm. And so it still is eventually a public podcast that's absolutely free but users get it for three months before yep. or a month or whatever that usability might be mm-hmm. um, is all really intriguing to me as well. And again, I think there's going to be lots of different variables here that play into different people's ways of, of moving forward.
1: Yeah. You, Just on, I, on that real quick too. Like it is funny, like when you're, uh, you're at Harvard law school and, uh, and then you're at the Harvard museum of natural history, and then these pay models start emerging, it does start feeling a little bit about exc- exclusivity and it's interesting, this tension between exclusive content, premium content, uh, really that's luminary, got a decent amount of backlash when it first launched, because if it's not shared through an RSS feed, it's not really a podcast. If it's not free, it's not really a podcast. It's also a lot of the analysis I've seen around Jim Alaya and the way audio is consumed, learning content and podcasts are consumed in China is not really a podcast because it's not uh, fitting the the textbook definition of what a podcast is um when you start adding models that sort of withhold the premium content to folks who are willing to pay for it it does actually run counter to a lot of the spirit of podcasting and i think that is a tension that all these brands are trying to navigate all the ones we outlined whether it's uh you know, Pushkin or Luminary or Himalaya or uh, even Slate. Yep. You know, to be relevant and to hit the large audiences, you need to be free. Maybe you monetize, but with, with some host reads and other ads. But then to sort of custom build a, a more sort of immersive experience, it starts to get expensive. And then the model starts to evolve more in the direction of what we're seeing with uh, Talking to Strangers, uh, Gladwell's most recent book where like it becomes the equivalent of like DVD level content right. or like, the te- like almost like theatrical content. And um, it'll be really interesting as that model where like a freemium model where like free is advertising, ad- advertising-based and then premium includes additional functionality and features, uh, Slate Plus is a really good example of this. Um, that I think will continue to mature around learning and then particularly like what are the plus features right. that are exclusive to your VIPs um, is an interesting thing to think about, particularly in a world where uh, you know, we talk a lot about increasing access and how um being exclusionary in a world where uh inclusivity is becoming the prevailing trend um i think it'll be a really interesting thing to continue to experiment with because i'm not sure where you draw the line
0: i wanted to go back to the gladwell book because i that i i will at least download that and listen to it for the experience and it sounds Mm -hmm. like you had an experience while listening to it it wasn't just simply listening to someone else read a book it was entertainment value, but also just immersive and and gave you a lot of different uh, aspects to it. We've talked many times over about the idea of upping production value around audiobooks, but it also seems that we are crossing over, and you've discussed this before in the past, so credit to you, of we're creating content every day when we do a podcast. We're recording for a half hour or an hour, and there are obviously words here that can be transcribed Mm -hmm. and then made into books. And so do these audio podcasts, the learning podcasts, Uh, make that next step as well, start to really be uh, a cross-functional and a cross-distribution product where you're creating content here Mm -hmm. that is then made a book and vice versa, where books are becoming more and more polished and entertainment value as audio, Mm -hmm. I think is a a lane that may uh, start to become more and more clear as we move forward.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And the uh, related thought that's really interesting to me is the the tension between scripted shows and unscripted shows, you know, so um, I'm going to go off script here, Dan, and, and share with the audience that we're not overly religious about our scripting here. Right. Uh, we're just religious enough is the way I think about it. But, um, but that frequently allows for something surprising emergent to happen. And the energy of that, I think does translate into an interesting show at times. Um, and then, What we don't have that more highly scripted shows have is a script that could immediately be posted as a transcript. But we are seeing increasingly uh, transcription getting cheaper and approaching free to the point that audio and text are becoming interchangeable. The other direction is also interesting with synthetic voice advancing very rapidly. So like, you know, deep fakes for audio are uh in many ways easier than they are for video where like you already have synthetic voice you could make it sound like someone uh and then you can also make the voice sound uh have whatever sound qualities you think would make it engaging to the audience and it's not going to sound robotic it will actually sound human with some mellifluous intonations it'll sound very sonorous and um i think that'll be that like that technology is, is ready now, right? It's just who has the wherewithal and the focus to fully leverage it in podcasting. And then, uh, you know, we've talked about oral histories as the other aspect, you know, cause like that did come up during the panel I was on. A lot of the methodologies around qualitative research in the social sciences are very translatable into audio as a format. In fact, uh, you know, Robin, my wife, when she was doing her uh, dissertation, she transcribed a lot of interviews and then coded them. And uh, that format, I think, lends itself to a podcast. I mean, obviously, you would need to you know, sprinkle in a little, uh, edutainment, uh, on top of that, uh, ethnographic qualitative research, uh, foundation, you know, or that, uh, that base in your gumbo, uh, so that you'd have a little, you know, t- nice chunks of, uh, of edutainment floating in that, uh, bouillabaisse, uh, that base there. I don't know what I'm talking about, Dan. Cheeseburgers that, uh, and
0: bouillabaisse. This
1: cheeseburgers is- and bouill- Maybe I'm hungry, but, um. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh it's going to be an interesting space to watch cuz uh you know I've said it on a few different occasions and uh, I it's both interesting so I say it but I think I kind of believe it that uh in some ways audio is the new video. Uh mm-hmm. there was I just saw recently that um Facebook uh is yet again in hot water this time about some of the metrics that uh voted oh, yeah. about how You know, Facebook was becoming a video platform and the majority of the content that's consumed on Facebook is or will be video. It sounds like there was some wishful thinking and some inflation of those statistics by Facebook when they were first released. And now there's some blowback where they're getting sued by companies who pivoted their strategy towards video and are now not better off. Um, I think increasingly the economics of audio are going to point folks in this direction where, you know, it reminds me of the Gimlet playbook where, you know, the Homecoming, uh, the Julia Roberts, Netflix or Amazon. I forget where it was. Premium. I think it was Amazon. Yeah. Time, yeah. Like it got picked up as a TV production based on what was originally a scripted narrative audio series. Um, I think increasingly you're going to see pro- theatrical video and film production companies workshop Get things right through an audio format Mm -hmm. and then translate that into a video, which is more expensive. I think the same thing's true around live events, where, like, if you do a live, if you do a video show, your live event's not going to be the same, you know, because, like, you know, depending on the nature of the video show, there's probably cameras involved and shots. You could do it, but it's going to feel different. But I think frequently the format of a podcast that becomes a live show is really just like a talk you know like you're at a live experience and you're you're getting access to the people who you've only heard before and throughout this show which i think would be an interesting uh maybe closing point at least for me is the intima- intimacy of this format where like you're hearing a, a a sort of intimate conversation and it's you're the only person who's hearing it it's right in your ear And um, there's a level of connectivity that you feel like emotional connection you feel to the content um, that is, is qualitatively different from from other formats, including text, you know, so like when you when you read text and this is the interesting thing for academics when you read the text. There's no sense of humanity to it frequently like it's almost designed to be written as canonical peer reviewed academic research and it's almost like you're r- removing the identity of the academic in the process, once that academic is voicing it and is actually being asked questions and responding in real time to the ideas they're struggling with and you hear their vulnerability, you hear their joy, you hear their pain, yep. um, I think it's a very different format and it's one that uh, I think we're just at in the early stages. So audio is the new video. You heard it here first.
0: I love it. And uh, I will say I love the idea of oral histories too. I did those. Uh, I was a history major in college and did mm. uh, one. My did a Vietnam era course where we interviewed Vietnam vets mm. and got to sit down and discuss and just recorded for hours upon hours their yeah. stories, uh, which looking back now, there's 2003. It yeah. would have been a, an amazing podcast if edited properly and put yeah. out in the right way. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm all on board for that. I'm very, very uh, bullish right now on audio. And I, I, audio is the new video. I dig uh, very much so because I think there's so many things we can do here uh, and very much uh, intrigued by the synthetic voices too. That's something to, to think through. There's obviously the human nature of me says, well, that's scary. We can make anybody say anything, Mm -hmm. but also the idea of giving voice to the voiceless uh, is amazing. And also allowing academics who don't want to voice their own content, the ability to have a script, feed it into a system, and then yep. choose the voice that represents them, I think is really uh, a good one as well. But uh, Sound uh, Education, if you want more information on them, sound underscore edu on Twitter. Uh, they also have a uh, presence on LinkedIn. They have presence you can Google Sound Education for next year. Uh, we hope to have uh, uh, more from Sound Education, the, the uh, people who organized, some of the panelists that Mike was on with. Uh, he mentioned uh, a- Anthro Life. Uh, Adam Gamwell was a great moderator for you. I think he'll be a good guest in the future. And, and some of the panelists that were on with you as well were, were fantastic. So we look forward to talking to them as well. We're not closing the book here on Sound EDU. Uh, we're just sort of uh, pressing pause for a little while, bringing them back in the future and continuing on here with our podcast known as Trending in Education. As always, you can find us uh, on the internet at trendingandeducation.com. You can find us on Twitter at Trending Ed. The same on Facebook. And as always, we're over on LinkedIn as well, linkedin.com slash trending in education. With that said, I wish you all a great day. We'll be back again next week with a brand new edition of Trending in Education.